I am not an expert. I've never published a book or taught a class, but I love quilting, and I love talking about quilting. I make a lot of mistakes, but I like to think that sometimes I learn from them and get just a little bit better. If hearing about someone else's goofs and mess-ups makes you feel better about yours, then I've done my job. Join me now as we talk about quilting for the rest of us. Hey, I'm Sandy and I'm a quilter and welcome to episode 101. We're starting the next 100 in which we make mistakes and I'm recording this on Tuesday, September 4th, 2012, or at least I'm starting to record this on Tuesday, September 12th. Not entirely sure I'm going to get it finished tonight, but had a little bit of time, thought I would maybe give it a shot. Um, thanks again to everybody who played along with the giveaway in episode 100. And yes, those of you who won, I do have everything packaged up and ready to go to the post office. I just haven't been able to get to the post office yet. Um, I have another shot probably in a couple of days. I'll be able to get out and go. So I'm hoping to get those in the mail sometime this week. There has been not a whole lot going on. This last weekend was Labor Day weekend here in the United States, and as you may remember, there was a Labor Day sew-in, L-D-S-I, on Twitter. Unfortunately, everybody who's not on Twitter, I'm sorry, but it's easiest to do the sew-ins on Twitter because it's constant, instant interaction. We're able to tweet back and forth to each other. We can post pictures to each other. We can give instant input. A lot of times people would post a picture of something and say, hey, here's a few borders I'm thinking of. Which one do you like? And everybody would chime in with with their opinions, um, because if there's anything quilters have, it's opinions. Um, but it's a, lo a lot of fun. It's harder to do that on Facebook um, because it's just not quite as instant. You have to rely on people being on Facebook and checking, whereas Twitter interacts with a whole lot of different types of equipment. You know, I can be checking Twitter on my computer, on my iPad, on my cell phone, any number of places. Um, Facebook is a little trickier to do that, so I apologize to people who aren't on Twitter. Um, if you're not on Twitter, I would like to say it's not a bad place to be for a quilter. All sorts of quilty pictures being posted there all day long, so it's a lot of fun, and it's free, so you might want to look into it. But anyway, the Labor Day sew-in was a lot of fun. Unfortunately, because I was out of town for the bulk of Labor Day weekend, I wasn't able to actually get much sewing done myself. We had a wedding that we were attending. I think I may have mentioned that. Um, a friend of ours. And it turned out to be an absolutely beautiful wedding. I mean, not that, <laughs> not that that was ever in doubt. All weddings are beautiful. However, this one was out of town. It was in um, Chautauqua, if any of you are familiar with that. Uh, Chautauqua, New York is where the Chautauqua Institute was born. That's the original Chautauqua. Now I know there are places or things that are called Chautauqua Institute all over the country, um, but the original Chautauqua Institute is in Chautauqua, New York. And my husband and I have talked for years about wanting to go down to Chautauqua, and we never have. It's about three hours away from us, two and a half to three hours. And that's just far enough that it's a commitment to drive down there for a weekend. Um, the Chautauqua Institute season, where they actually have the lecture series and the symphony and the opera and all that stuff going on, runs from mm, sometime in June, I think, until uh, it ends the week before Labor Day weekend. It's a nine-week season altogether. And when the kids were little, that was just, you know, that was kind of our vacation time. And although if you have kids, Chautauqua does have a very good kids program and teens program. It's a good family place to go. 
Um, it's just we've always had a lot going on in the summers. And now that the kids are not so much of a factor in my husband and I figuring in terms of what we're doing our, with our time now that they're out and about on their own, we have a better shot at getting there, sort of. Unfortunately, you know, as you know, my work life is, <laughs> my summers are still fairly booked, so it's going to be a little tricky. But um, definitely we were doing some retirement planning. But when, when we were there, we we're wandering around saying, okay, well, when we retire, we can do this, that, or the other thing. Um, the town itself is just really pretty, very pretty. Um, it's right on Chautauqua Lake, which is not one of the Finger Lakes. It's a small lake off to itself, um, very close to the Pennsylvania border. And um, it's it's a very pretty lake and it's bigger than I thought it was. Um, and the weather when we were there was perfect. The town, the little village that is the actual Chautauqua, it's sort of a gated community now. It didn't start out that way, but because of the lecture series, they have to kind of monitor who comes in and out during season. Uh, because you have to have tickets. So there's these big, you know, entrance and exit gates, but there are people that live there year round. So we were talking quite a bit this weekend about what would that be like to live there? You know, it's like the ultimate gated community, I guess. Um, in any case, the the village itself, you know, very, very pretty. The houses have been there since the 1800s. So they're just a really wonderful variety of styles. Um, and it's just really pretty. We got there Friday night, very late by the time we got out of work and got down there. So we walked around a little bit in the dark, could not see a whole lot because street lights, you know, are, are a precious commodity apparently in Chautauqua. There weren't that many of them. Um, so we were just sort of making our way by moonlight, which was very pretty, of course, but we couldn't get a good feel for uh, the village of Chautauqua itself. But then the next morning, the wedding wasn't until three o'clock. So we were able to sleep in, have a nice breakfast and then walk around town all day. It was warm, but it wasn't beastly which is wonderful because it was an outdoor wedding. And all I kept thinking was, boy, if this had been yesterday, because Friday was really steamy, muggy, hot. But Saturday, um, it was still pretty warm, but it was much breezier and just drier in general. And all I kept thinking is, you know, boy, the, that bride is lucky because she would have been in her, she wore a full, you know, wedding gown. She would have been toasty <laughs> if it had been the day before. But as it was, it was gorgeous. Um, so we had a very relaxed Saturday leading up into the wedding. And then the wedding, like I said, was at three o'clock outdoors. And then um, the reception was on this kind of place where the Chautauqua grounds go out into just a very small point into the lake. And they had, you know, the, the white tents, pavilion kind of things. And that's where the reception was. And when the sun went down, it was a gorgeous sunset. It was a beautiful night on the lake. There weren't that many bugs because it was breezy enough. And um, somewhere down the lake, there was some sort of big celebration that all these fireworks went off. <laughs> I, I was saying to the groom, who's the friend of ours, I said, boy, you, you must have paid somebody well <laughs> to, to arrange this. So it was just, it was a wonderful day for the couple. I'm so thrilled for them. And we had a very, very nice time. Um, Saturday, we got up and out pretty early. To be honest, the inn that we stayed at in Chautauqua, for those of you who have been there, it was the Spencer. It's a really quaint, wonderful little inn. Um, we think that the chef was already gone or <laughs> whoever cooks breakfast because our breakfast Saturday morning was, was, I, I said earlier, we had a nice breakfast. We, we didn't really, I mean, it was nice in that we were, had a leisurely breakfast. The food itself was pretty darn bad. And that's the first time I've ever had that happen. And TripAdvisor does not say that. So I think that must've been somebody else pinch hitting for him that morning or whatever. So Sunday we decided, no, we're not going to do breakfast here. We just got up and out and on the road 
and partly we really just wanted to get home. We had had a wonderful weekend, but we've been gone a lot. We're going to be gone a lot. We wanted to just get home. So we were home well before lunch on Sunday. Um, but unfortunately, I had not slept well uh, that night, so I was pretty fried. I was not in the mood to sew. I Well, e even had I been in the mood to sew, I don't think it would have gone well. <laughs> So I just didn't. Um, I did keep up with folks. I was checking my LDSI hashtag all weekend and looking at the pictures and chiming in when I could, but I didn't do any sewing myself. I did watch a couple of craftsy classes. That was kind of my sewing for the day. And um, mostly I, I cleaned. I cleaned my daughter's room and I did a little bit on my son's room, although I did more of that today. Um, I don't normally clean my kids' rooms. That's always been their job. I've always been pretty hands-off. Unfortunately, my daughter can be a bit of a pack rat, so periodically through her childhood and growing up years, I would um, have to go into her room and we'd make bargains or we'd play a game or, you know, various things over the years <laughs> that I would do to get her to clean her room. Well, all summer long, I'd been on her, please don't leave your room a mess when you leave. Make sure it's clean. Well, she didn't. Um, she said she picked it up. It was, it really wasn't. And I decided this is going to really irritate me. And so I just said, I said to my daughter, I'm going to clean your room. I will not make any decisions on your behalf. In other words, I won't be throwing your stuff out. Um, sorry, that's my alarm going off, reminding me I have to medicate my dog. I, <laughs> I will get to that in a minute. Um, but in any case, I told her I wasn't going to throw anything out that wasn't obviously garbage. You know, I'd be very careful not to make decisions on her behalf, but that I had to just get stuff sorted and kind of put away and and just in a, a position where when she does come home on her first break, uh, which will be, you know, October or November, that she'll be able to, within half an hour, go through and make whatever decisions she needs to make. Um, and it, it only took me really about an hour. I mean, it wasn't a lot since I wasn't, you know, sorting through stuff. I was just putting like with like and getting it done. And then we took, she had a bunch of clothes in her room and down in the laundry room. So I put them all, I stacked them all on the bed. And then thank God for Skype. I Skyped my daughter and I held up every piece of clothing in front of the video camera and said, okay, I'm sorry, in front of the, the webcam, okay, keep or donate, you know, keep, toss, donate, keep, toss, donate. And we went through all of her clothes and just finished that up tonight because some stuff was still in laundry. And, you know, I just love Skype. I really I am such a Skype fan because I can do stuff like that. It's also just nice to talk to my kids on Skype when they're away. Um, so got my daughter's room at least as clean as I need it to be. You know, I can keep the door open now, <laughs> which is kind of a big thing. And then finished off my son's room, which had very little left in it. He basically hasn't lived at home for the last couple of years. He's had the apartment um, but there was just some random scattered stuff in there. So I just kind of sorted that out today. And then he's going to be home in a couple of days to pick up some stuff. He needs his high school transcripts again. And of course, they don't put stuff like that in the mail anymore, apparently. At least our school district doesn't. So he's going to go um, pick it up. And that means he'll be stopping by home and I can nail him to say, okay, go to your room, make some decisions. <laughs> so... Um, and he's fine with that, too. I mean, he really doesn't expect to ever live at home again. So he keeps saying to me, Mom, you can turn my room into a guest room. And I'm like, no, it's still your room. You first, you still get first dibs. So that was pretty much my um, my big accomplishment of Labor Day weekend was getting my kids' rooms clean, um, plus some other random stuff we need to get done around the house. I did more sewing on Monday, uh, which as being specifically Labor Day here in the U.S., I did have Monday off. Um 
had to do some stuff like I got some groceries. I did a little cooking because I've got some CSA stuff I had to get rid of. But I did actually sit down and sew. And the main thing I got done, um, well, at least moved forward, is I am making candle mats and lavender sachets for a silent auction basket. I believe I talked about this a few episodes ago. Our guild is putting together some baskets for a silent auction for a local hospice um, house. And the way we decided to do it to see if we could get really full participation is we broke into teams and each team has a theme. And my team, for which I'm team captain, is doing a spa theme. So I am making candle mats and um, I'll be getting some candles to go with those. And then I'm doing some lavender sachets using some lavender from my own garden. And um, I debated for a while making actual circular candle mats, and then I decided to go a little easy on myself, make them square, you know, use a standard square block, but choose block designs that are a little bit more circular sort of in nature. Uh, so I'm using, let's see if I can remember the titles of these three blocks. I'm using the Judy Hopkins Around the Block book, and I did a Grecian cross, a Greek cross, or the two names are very, very similar, and the, the block design is pretty much the same. It's just a difference in where you put the colors. And then the other one was called Ladies' Aid Album. Those are the three blocks I made, and these are for the candle mats. I haven't tackled the sachets yet. And I got the blocks put together. I'm really pleased with the way they turned out. I mean, they're fairly simple blocks, um, but I like the colors. Uh, they're spa colors. A little more pink in there than I was expecting. <laughs> I had kind of thought I'd be doing something in very greens and turquoises and tealsies, you know, the kind of sea colors. Uh, but when I started going through my batik fat quarters, of which I've amassed quite a few this summer, particularly, um, the set that really spoke to me is the main focus fabric is a floral that's primarily blues, but it's got this really cool kind of purpley pink background to it. So then I, I used a kind of a fuchsia pink um, as an accent, and then a light kind of green teal sort of thing um, as the light color. And each of the blocks has some combination of, of two or three of those colors. And so I got the blocks done. I've got them um, basted now with batting and backing and just have to quilt them. And what I discovered, I was tweeting during LDSI on, um, you know, saying I hadn't really decided what I was going to do for a quilt pattern yet. And uh, it was suggested that I try to do maybe circular uh, quilt pattern. And given the problems I've had with my free motion quilting lately, which I'll talk about in a minute, I really wasn't sure I wanted to get into that. But then I remembered I have a circular sewing attachment. This is a Janome tool. I think other, um, other sewing machines have them too. I just have a Janome. And I didn't even know I had this. I was at, uh, when I was at the Ricky Tim's, seminar in uh, July, Libby Lehman talked about the circular sewing attachment, and she demonstrated it, and she said something about, you know, all these different machines have it, yeah, da-da-da-da, Janome, da-da-da-da-da, and I said, oh, really, Janome has one, I'll have to look it up. Well, when I got home from the seminar, I went online, and I looked up the circular sewing attachment, and I looked at the picture of it, and I thought, wait a minute, I think I've seen that, <laughs> and so I go over to my sewing drawer and pulled it open, my sewing cabinet pulled open my drawer with all my uh, feet and everything in it, and realized, yes, indeed, I did actually already have the Janome circular sewing attachment. How that happens, that I have something that I don't even know what I have, is because I inherited all of this from my mother, 
And my mom never met a gadget she didn't like. So she had a whole slew of feet and attachments and this gadget and that gadget. And all of her machines, with the exception of her serger, all of her machines were always Janome's. So I had a bunch of stuff. I didn't really know what it was. I couldn't really identify most of it. Um, I knew it was probably for Janome. Uh, but my sister and I, my sister took one of my other moms, one of my mom's other Janomis, not my other mom, my, I only had one, but my, her other Janome, which was the embroidery Janome, in 9,000, I think, something like that. And so some of the feet she took, I took some, and we didn't get rid of any feet. We just sort of divvied them up between us as best we could figure out which ones went to which machines. And then I just stashed all of mine in a drawer and figured I'd figure it out later. Well, periodically I realize there's another foot that I have that is a really handy foot and I didn't know I have it. Um, by the way, Janome, like most makers, some of the feet are interchangeable, but not all. So, you know, there's some feet I can use across the board on pretty much any of my machines, but other ones I really can't. Uh, so I decided tonight I would pull out that circular sewing attachment and I found the video online about how to use it, and I went over to my um, the machine I inherited from my mom, which is the 6600, and tried to snap this thing in the way it's supposed to snap in, and it doesn't fit. And I go back online and realize, okay, there's two Janome circular sewing attachments. One is for one set of machines, and then one fits um, another set of machines. And it looks like I have the one that fits kind of the older machines up until a certain point. So then I start thinking, well, wait a minute, I have an older Janome. The Janome I used to use before inheriting my mom's is a 3500. So I pulled it out of its um, thing. That's sort of my travel machine now, which is funny because the thing weighs a ton, but it's my smaller of the two machines. Set it up on my cutting table, um, plug it in, and I am put the circular sewing attachment in, and sure enough, it fits that Janome. Now, I still would like to have one that fits my 6600 because the 6600 is the machine that stays set up in my sewing machine that's in my sewing room that's the one I use all the time if I only had an attachment for the 3500 every time I wanted to use that attachment I'd have to set up my um, my little sewing my so easy sewing table because that's the one that's got the insert that fits the 3500 I'd have to completely set up basically an entire new sewing station for me and for myself to use that one attachment and I know I'd be unlikely to do that. So I did call a local Janome dealer nearby, asked if they carried the other one, and they sure do. So probably sometime this week I'll go up and buy that one. Um, but meanwhile, I did test out the other one to see if it works. And what the circular sewing attachment is, is it actually, it's got a pin that you figure out what the center of your fabric is. You can only do, you know, it, it works on something up to 10 inch square, I think it says. And you figure out where the center of your um, fabric is. You put the pin, you put the fabric down over that pin, and then you adjust it to however big a diameter of a circle you want. And then you put it under your uh, machine, and it feeds the cloth through, the fabric through, in a circle. So you can do round um, designs. And, you know, obviously you can use any of your decorative stitches, and you can do it that way. Uh, for those of you who have embroidery machines, no, you don't need this. I don't have an embroidery machine. This is a way I can do sort of embroidery techniques with my standard machine. So that's a lot of fun. So I just played with it tonight to say, yes, that will work for me. Um, I think on these three candle mat blocks, I'm not going to use a decorative stitch. I'm going to just do a straight stitch, but it'll be circles, so it'll kind of do that ripple effect. 
Um, but like I said, I don't have the, the attachment for my better machine, which is the one I'd normally use. Um, so I think I'm going to go ahead and buy that. But it's a really cool attachment. So if you have not checked whether your machine, again, if you have a non-embroidery machine, because embroidery machines, I imagine, already do this. But if you don't have an embroidery machine, check to see whether they've got a circular sewing attachment and see what their videos are and, and check what you um, can do with them because it's pretty cool. I did tweet a picture of at least a portion of um, my test. I just pulled a couple of charms out of my scrap pile and, and did some testing on it and it's really pretty cool. I really had fun with it. Um, I did have to use my walking foot with it. The first time I went around um, I wasn't using a walking foot and the back of it, it didn't bunch up, but it just, it's a little bit fuller and puckery, not puckery, but it's just fuller than I really wanted it to be. Um, but when I switched to the walking foot, that settled right down and it was really easy to use. So I'm looking forward to playing with that more. Um, so that's my LDSI project. The other thing I'm going to talk about, and I'm not going to talk about it at length, but it's because I haven't finished it yet. So when it's finished, that'll be the subject of another episode. But it leads into the topic of today's episode. So I did want to share the other project I've got on ongoing is my Stitch and Slash um, project, which is part of a craftsy class, Stitch and Slash, with Carol Ann Waugh. And I know that Nitty AJ of The Quilting Pot did the same class. She's already posted pictures of her piece, and I think hers is completely done. And it was beautiful when I looked at it. Um, Mine is looks very different from uh, from Nitty AJ's. It's really cool because it's just a technique. So whatever design you do, they're going to look completely different. And I did a completely different design from what AJ did. And so it gives you, once I get mine actually posted, it'll give you a sense of all the variety that you can do. If you look at hers and look at mine, they're very different, but they're both really cool, you know, so that's really fun. Um, but I've been having a dickens of a time quilting mine, which is no fault of the technique at all. It's, I think I've narrowed down what the problem is because I know what to check for when you have tension problems, when you're free motioning. I know all the things that can go wrong. I think in this case, it's actually the backing fabric because one of the other techniques that um, Carol Ann Waugh shows you in this class is how to create fabric out of the scraps that you create from the stitch and slash technique. When you're doing stitch and slash, you're cutting away whole parts of fabric. So you end up with a ton of fabric scraps. And rather than just wasting them or throwing them in your scrap bin, she has a technique for cutting them into smaller pieces and then fusing them down. And then um, you meander stitch over them to just hold them down and you create a piece of fabric. So I did that for my backing for this piece. Unfortunately, what that does, I mean, it's a really cool technique, and I love the way my backing turned out because I was actually fairly intentional in the way I kind of lined up some of the scraps. Um, but it does make it a heavier, more layered fabric, and I think that's messing with my tension. So what I'm going to have to do is just go back to, I've had to rip it out twice, <laughs> and, um, and, and part of that's because I want the back to look good too. A lot of times when something doesn't turn out well on the back, I say, well, <laughs> I won't say what I say. I just shake my head and move on because the back is going to be against a wall, so I don't let myself worry about it. But in this one, I actually really like the back, and so I'd like the back to look good in addition to the front. So I'm in the process of ripping it out again so I can do it yet a third time, but I'm just going to have to figure out a way that I can find some way to kind of mock this backing fabric 
um, I don't have enough left to make a scrap really is the problem so that I can then um, practice on it and get the tension right because it, that's just what it's going to take because I'm just going to have to keep messing with it until I can get it to actually work. Um, otherwise, this would have been a really fast project. Unfortunately, that's what's been frustrating me. But doing that uh, made me remember some questions I had asked. I had asked way back at the beginning of the summer before my life kind of, you know, exploded with all the things that my life normally explodes with over the summer. And I wanted to take this episode then to share some listener input, some people responding to those questions. Back on June 3rd, and I can see that because I can see the date right on the, the comment, I posted the question in the Big Tent uh, Quilting for the Rest of Us group and on the Facebook Quilting for the Rest of Us page. I said, Listener Louise made a comment to me that gave rise to a fun topic for an upcoming episode. Thanks, Louise. The question, what quilt project gave you the most grief in terms of the number of mistakes or consequences of mistake in recent memory? And what, if anything, did you do to fix it? And I talked in that question about, um, I've spoken in the past about a quilt that I saved for most, almost certain destruction that has since hung in a show and graces my bed at every quilt retreat I attend. But I've had other quilting mistakes that didn't turn out quite so fortunate. I'd love to hear yours. And then I said I would give people two weeks to respond, and I actually ended up giving you something like four months. <laughs> I apologize and thank you for your patience. But let's see what people responded. Um, Ellie, or at Owns the Sass, said, My hexi quilt, mainly because the seams were so stinking difficult, but I finished it as it was and most of the mistakes quilted out and it looks fine. I actually gave it away and they loved it. Uh, which is, you know, that's the running joke. Don't worry about it. It'll quilt out. <laughs> In fact, there's actually a song on YouTube that you can see. Um, so thank you very much, Owns the Sass. And I did see pictures of her hexi quilt when she finished it, and I thought it was just the cutest thing. It was great. Diane said, Last year, my daughter went on a short-term mission trip to Tonga. At the parent briefing, about three weeks before they set off, I realized she needed to take a gift for her host family, preferably something Australian. A quilter friend, whose daughter was also going and would be staying with the same family, suggested we make a quilt. So after some quick online searching, I found some fabric with many panels of Australian animals. My friend's in-laws lived near the quilt shop, so they were asked to buy the fabric as they were coming to visit that weekend. The first problem quickly became apparent. The fabric was printed crookedly, making cutting a nightmare. After some fudging with the framing fabric and some creative ironing and starching, I was finally able to assemble the quilt. About halfway through the quilting, my sewing machine decided to have a hissy fit, and no amount of tension adjustment would make it quilt nicely. After much ripping out of stitching and with tears of frustration, I delivered the quilt to my friend to finish on her wedding anniversary. We did eventually get it finished with a day to spare. Lessons learnt. Do not get talked into doing a large quilt in a short time frame. Never delegate buying a fabric to a non-quilter and allow for the unexpected in your planning. I have to say, Diane, when you were talking about the panel being quilted um, crookedly or the panel being printed crookedly, I've found that to be the case more often than not with panels. Um, they are really, really tricky that way that they're often not printed square and a real pain to work with. Uh, so thank you for those responses on Facebook from Big Tent. Fiona Ogre said, oh, the agony. <laughs> I love that start. 
Oh, the agony. My hardest, worst-behaved quilt was what I thought would be the easiest. I started with a 24 by 32 inch panel. Uh-oh, panels. Then planned to surround it with these cute blocks I found in a book. They'll go so great together, I thought. The blocks were formed by cutting 10 inch squares in half on the diagonal and sewing each half to a triangle cut from strips sewn together. That's where the trouble started. The side strip triangles were cut on the bias and wanted to shift badly. After sewing about a dozen blocks, I discovered that they all went askew. A friend showed me how to use starch to stiffen them and keep the biases from pulling. Worked, and daughter loves her quilt. So yes, the the bias thing, I was... <laughs> and you started with a panel. I'd be curious to know whether your panel was actually square or not. Okay, so excited quilts says... Sorry this is so long, but you asked for a story, and as I started to write this, the memories came flooding back. I have a friend who loves and collects giraffes, and when I saw the Zirafa pattern, Zirafa, Zirafa, not sure how to pronounce that, by Big Fork Bay Cotton Company, I just had to get it. Now, being true to myself, I didn't buy the kit because I hate to spend money. I've gotten over that, at least when it comes to fabric, and I thought I had fabric at home that would work. Mistake number one, I should have bought the kit. I discovered that when I got home, I didn't have the fabrics I needed, and I'm not sure what possessed me to believe that in the first place. At that time in my life, I tended to only buy just enough fabric for the quilt I was working on. I've gotten over that also somewhat. Mistake number two. So, for the next few months as Christmas was drawing nearer, I searched for fabric whenever I had the opportunity. Did I buy the possibilities? No, not me. In typical, in typical fashion, I would decide again and again why different fabrics might not work, and I reasoned with myself that if they didn't work, I would have bought fabric for no reason. I really have gotten over that. Who needs a reason? Mistake number three. Panic started to ensue as the holidays were drawing near. I decided to really look at what I had and order online. Of course, being true to myself again, only what I thought I needed. Silly me. Mistake number four. Finally, I was ready to start, and I decided that it would be a good project to take on a trip, as it was small and portable. I dutifully had labeled bags for all the pieces, and I was all set. Do you know what happens when you have several tiny pieces laid across your lap and various other parts of your body to keep them organized, and suddenly the car you are traveling in stops quick? Mistake number five. Finally, the fabrics were cut, labeled, and spread out on a flat, stationary surface, and I was ready to start. Only problem was, I could not figure out where the pieces went. I spent days working on it. I told myself again and again that I am not a ninny and I should be able to figure it out. I almost threw it in the trash. That was one mistake I didn't make. In total frustration, I finally contacted the company and asked them how they expected someone to put it together without some sort of a placement guide. I was told the pattern should have had one. They apologized and sent one right away. Wow, what a difference that made. I would have quilted it differently and read the directions more carefully for the 3D leaves. I decided that the new owner wouldn't know or care. Overall, I was very pleased with the pattern and outcome, and I did finish it in time to give it as a Christmas gift. I would buy the kit next time and avoid mistakes one through four. Guess what I found when I was putting all the fabrics away? The placement guide. It had ended up in the bottom of the bin under fabrics I had chosen not to use. Boy, did I feel silly. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Jackie. That was a fantastic story. I loved reading it the first time. I loved reading it again tonight. Um, 
And I agree, the the Serengeti Lionhead that I did was a Big Fork Bay Cotton Company, same um, type of a kit. And I am so glad that I did make the decision to buy the kit, because I can't imagine trying to find all the fabrics you need for those kits, or for those patterns. And you only need little bits, you know, so if you're buying fabric out in the store, you're not necessarily going to be able to go in and say, okay, I need a five inch piece of this fabric. <laughs> you know, you're going to be buying more than what you need, which is great. But um, I decided that the kit really was a fairly cost effective way to go. So I did not mind doing that. And after reading your story, I am so glad that I did that. Um, so thank you very, very much for your story. Arcatica, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, said, Ha! I had a wrestle with one of the Craftsy Block of the Month's blocks recently. The funny thing is that it's made of all rectangles and squares. Before I started this block, I had to sew half-square triangles, and for that I removed my quarter-inch guiding tape from the sewing machine. After I was finished, I started the above-mentioned Greek cross block. Easy peasy. All rectangles and squares. I was done in no time. I was quite happy with the way it came out, snapped a picture, and put it up on my blog. Went back to the sewing room to trim it to 12 and a half inches and realized the block didn't even measure 12 inches. I was thinking, wait a minute, what just happened here? I checked my seams and of course my quarter inch was off since I didn't test it after I put the tape back on. Mistake. Since I like to have the exact size for my blocks, I unsewed it with the help of my best friend, Miss Seam Ripper. Then the frustrations began. When I was ripping the stitches, I accidentally ripped not only the block assembly sewing, but the sewing within the patch, which I later realized was right. No problem, sewed it back together. When I was sewing my rows, that pit patch somehow turned around, ripping again. So, okay, first row done. Second row, one of the patches turned again, rip, sew. Points don't match. Rip. So, Third row had no problem, but by then I was ready to pull my hair out. Just the thought of messing up such a simple block. By then it was late at night and I was watching a movie in the meantime, so I probably had not paid as much attention as I should have. I blamed the simpleness of the block. Anyway, I was thinking to just leave it and finish it the next day, but then I thought I can't go to bed because it would haunt me all night. I'd even have nightmares about it and just couldn't afford to have that happen. I finished it, but I swear it took me at least two hours to make that nine-patch block. Beside this one, I don't have any quilting horror stories yet. <laughs> Thank you, Arcatica. I think yours is probably um, a good enough horror story to start with. Laura did post a um, link to her blog post about a coping strip nightmare she had a few months before this. And what I'll do is post the link to that in the show notes to this episode rather than reading off her blog post. So be sure to check the show notes of this episode for the link to Laura's story. Lady Rags, a.k.a. Noni, said, I blogged about my various quilting nightmares on my blog. Lately, it seems every quilt is giving me nightmares. I think it's because I often make my own quilt designs using inspirations from books and pictures. I then get into measuring and design dilemmas. I just keep plugging away at the problems, doing the best I can to fix them. Some successes and some failures, at least in my eyes. Sometimes I just have to brew on the problems while staring at the quilt on the design wall. No specific fixes to give out. So Noni, definitely yes. When you start um, designing your own quilts, you just make your problems even more manifest because then you know you, you have nothing else to go back to to double check. You have to figure it out yourself. 
So thank you, everybody, for your responses to my question. I'm sorry it took me so long to get around to sharing them, um, but I did enjoy reading them, and I enjoyed refreshing my memory with them again tonight. I have just a few comments. Because of the 100th episode giveaway, everybody had left their comments here. I only have a handful of comments that were just sort of general um, comics. I do have a You Know You're a Quilter When. Remember, I've got that tab on the show notes to this podcast series. If you go to the www.quiltingfortherestofus.com page, you will see several tabs across the top, and there's a few different places you can leave comments there on different topics, so please check that out. But one of them is You Know You Are a Quilter When... And Chris said, You Know You're a Quilter When... Um, Let's see it. I'm sorry, it doesn't lead into a sentence, but here's the story. Evacuated for over a week due to a huge fire that squirreled around and hit our property three times. We rode a roller coaster ride of not knowing if we even still had a house. Heirlooms, photos, papers could all be gone. And I worried about the quilt on the design wall for my daughter, for which the border had been determined but not compiled. <laughs> so... It was funny, and Chris and I then emailed back and forth a little bit. She was fine. Everybody in her family was fine. Her house was fine, as it turned out. Um, she was just laughing at herself about the fact of everything she was worried about. She was most worried about the quilt on the design wall, um, and she'd included a picture. She's sent pictures of it before, and we can't wait to see it finished, Chris, now that it was not destroyed in the fire. So, Chris, glad you and yours were safe and glad that your house was safe, and finish that quilt and get it out of your house so you can stop worrying about it. I also did hear from Nancy emailed me that she is also a huge fan of Louise Penny, too. Um, and she also said that uh, Louise Penny is the Inspector Gamache series that I often rave about. And I'm reading the newest one. I'm in the middle of it now, and I'm loving it. I don't want it to end. Uh, but she also, Nancy says that um, those are also very good as audiobooks. The narrator is superb, and his narration enhances the stories and the people in them. Um, so if you are an audiobook fan, Nancy recommends the Louise Penny um, Inspector Gamache series, Mysteries, uh, on audiobooks. And she said she's gotten them mostly through Audible, but she's also gotten some through her local library. She also enjoys listening to Deborah Crombie, which are British Mysteries, and Riss Bowen, who I've also read Riss Bowen because Art Quiltmaker recommended them. Those are also kind of the cozy mystery series as well. Um, oh, and she also suggested some blogs. Louise Penny's blog, which I do follow. I like Louise Penny's blog. And Jungle Red Writers, which writers, which includes Deborah Crombie and Riss Bowen. And I need to check that one out. I haven't done that yet. So thank you, Nancy, for your recommendations. I appreciate that. Sally, um, Paleo Fish Designs, had responded to an earlier podcast. This is, I believe, episode 96, in which I talked about um, the long arm experience and when I was having all of the problems with thread breakage. And so she responded to that. She said, I am by far not an expert in long arming. She's done several quilts now via long arm about 40 hours worth of time, which is far more than I've done. So uh, she said, basically, I've done enough to get myself into trouble. Here are some things I've learned. One, my store recommends using King Tut. If you want to use any other brand besides King Tut, you have to buy your own bobbin case. So far, I really like King Tut, and so far I've been able to find colors that work with my quilts. I think, if I recall, the brand that my quilt shop used, the one that I used the long arm on, I think is superior, but it's signature. I'm sorry, I think it's signature. Not 100% positive on that. 
um, but they did not say anything about if I wanted to bring a different brand, I'd have to bring my own bobbin case. I imagine um, that Sally's shop does that because sometimes with different threads, you have to adjust the tension and they don't want to mess with the tension on their machines. Um, number two, the last quilt I did had a predominantly black back, so I was going to use a solid black thread. The head of the long arm department said, here, use this obsidian variegated thread instead. He was telling me that the solids tend to break more than the variegated. Given my background in sciencey stuff, I really can't see why the color change would make an effect, but I listen because he does it five days a week, eight hours a day. Um, and Sally and I had some further conversation about that. I cannot even begin to imagine why variegated would break, or the solid would break more than variegated. Um, unless it's a difference in the way they're wound, but I, I don't get that. If somebody knows that for sure and wants to um, give us this great scoop, that would be great. I had not heard that before. Um, and then back to Sally's email, number three, the biggest factor, at least personally, I have learned that causes thread breakage is the speed at which you quilt. Yeah, you can run the machine at 80 or 90% of the maximum speed, but you will spend all your time rethreading the machine. I really have to work at it when I'm quilting to slow down and take a deep breath relax the shoulders, and then start quilting, because otherwise I'm just too twitchy and busy. I usually run at a million miles an hour. I really, really have to work to slow down, and then I have a lot less breakage. Pantographs slow me down, and sticking to only one cup of coffee before long-arm time. <laughs> so, um, And she also says the quilt shop should also check for replacing the needle and re-threading the machine and bobbin case. Um, and when I was having the problems with the breakage, we did re-thread the machine in the bobbin case a few different times. Did not replace the needle, but I believe I remember her saying something about it being fairly new, you know, when I got on the machine. Um, I'm I'm guessing it was either the machine itself, because they did say they'd been having problems with that machine, um, or that I was just going too fast. But the second time I did long arming, I did not have really any problem with breakage at all. I think it broke once on me, and that was for a reason we could see immediately why it had happened. Um, so, I, you know, it's one of these things, just like I'm having tension problems with my current project, any number of things can cause it. And uh, Sally just gave us some suggestions of things to check if it's happening for you. Um, I also got an email from Iris, who was responding to episode 100, and she, <laughs> this is just really cool, and I, Iris, I hope you're okay with me sharing this. Um, she's working on her doctor, doctorate in biomechanics. Biomechanics is the study of how people move, and her research is how people fall, in particular, how people break or don't break their hips. And can I tell you, that would be really important study. The number of, you know, as I was pastoring congregations, the number of elderly that would fall and break a hip, and that could completely change their life from then on out. So understanding how they can break or not break their hips, and therefore maybe doing physical therapy moves for um, seniors to, you know, prevent problems, that kind of thing, really good work. So Iris, you go. You're doing great, great stuff. Um, she was mentioning she drives by Rochester quite a bit, and uh, whenever she's gone by bus, my podcast just happened to hit the top of the queue when she was near the Rochester stop. <laughs> so that's the cosmos working for you. Um, thank you again, Iris, and I'm really, really wonderful study. And I, you know, I would say, gee, send me your paper when you're done. I won't understand a word of it. Just you know, give me the 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 um, summary <laughs> of it. That's cool stuff. Um, and Tori commented on episode 99, in which we talk books. Um, 
She said, thanks for all the book reviews. I've read four of them, including our dear friend Francis's book. I read The Help shortly after I reread To Kill a Mockingbird for the umpteenth time. It occurred to me that at the time that To Kill a Mockingbird was coming out, Harper Lee would be living in a time and place not unlike Skeeter in The Help. The movie is worth um, the movie of The Help is worth seeing for Viola Davis as Abilene, if nothing else. So I will make sure I check that out if it's on Netflix. I imagine it's on Netflix. I'll make sure I check that out. I was debating whether I wanted to see the movie now that I've read the book. Um, but if it's just, you know, great acting, then I would do it. Uh, Tori goes on to say, while you are talking about upstate New York, I was thinking one of my favorite historical series that is set there by the author Sarah Donati. Into the Wilderness is the first one, and it goes on for five more books between 1792 and 1840-ish. I re recommend them highly. And then she mentions that she and Francis had a lovely visit as they were together. And you'll see pictures of that on Francis's blog, Francis of the Off-Kilter Quilt. Um, and she, Tori says, Francis and I had a lovely visit on an uncharacteristically mild North Carolina morning. She was very admiring of my son, which I'm reminding myself of as son and I are snarling at each other over the AP Human Geography pre-work that is due when school starts Monday. The project is too long and involved from a teacher I'm none too fond of, but he still has to do it without driving us insane in the process. <laughs> Sigh. <laughs> and Tori, I'm sorry, I probably shouldn't laugh. I should just be hugging you and crying sympathetic tears um, and know that I'm crying a little tear inside for you. But I'm also chuckling because I was just talking to my son this morning, who's now in his third year of college, about what it took for us to get him graduated, not because he wasn't a smart kid and could do it. He just often chose not to do it. And so we, we had our own little times of snarling, but we got through it. We got through it and we still love each other and we still have fun together. So Tori, there is a light at the end of that tunnel. I believe that's all that, yes, that's all the comments that I've had, again, because I did the giveaway. But now that I'm not doing a giveaway, I expect you to all get quite chatty with me again. Okay, I am home this weekend, this coming weekend, so hopefully I'll be able to do another podcast sometime this weekend and have some more finishes to report on. Um, and then September, October gets really, really sketchy. So I'm going to ask you to bear with me because I am home only a couple of weekends in like a seven or eight week period. Um, I am What I'm going to try to do, Jay of Art Quilt Maker, hear this now. I'm going to try to record a couple of episodes with Jay so that I can maybe even pre-post them so that whether or not I'm in town, you still get the wonderfulness that is quilting for the rest of us, even while I'm gone. Um, otherwise, you may just have to be really, really patient with me and know that I'm not pod fading. I just can't get to a computer to record, is all. Um, other than that, do be looking forward to and I'm going to make this announcement now. I know it's a ways away, but yes, I will be hosting a Boxing Day. I'm sorry, not Boxing Day. That's the other holiday. A, a Black Friday sew-in. I will be hosting a Black Friday sew-in. And Black Friday is the day after Thanksgiving. I will be doing, um, I will be inviting other podcasters to do giveaways if they so choose, other bloggers to do giveaways if they so choose. I will be doing a linky party on my blog with all of those giveaways, so you'll be hearing more information about that. If you're a blogger or podcaster and want to um, 
participate in that, just start thinking now. You don't need to be in touch with me or anything. Just start thinking now about what you might want to do as a giveaway for Black Friday. Again, the day after Thanksgiving here in the U.S. I don't have the date in front of me, but eventually that will come out. Um, but I really, really enjoyed doing that last year, and I really want to do it again this year. Um, so we'll have a lot of fun with that. So that's your, your fair warning. Between now and then, I might be able to pull off another um, giveaway. I want to go back to doing my creativity challenges. I miss those. Those are the ones where I would post a picture and then give you like three months or something to do any sort of project based on that picture. And then anybody who sent me pictures of their projects, I would enter their name in a giveaway. I really thoroughly enjoyed those. And the people who participated enjoyed doing them. So I'm going to probably reinstitute those. I don't know if I'll get to it before the Black Friday sew-in or not. Like I said, not how much the next couple of months. Um, but be prepared. Those will be coming up too soon. So I think that's it for now. Um, yes, that, that really is it. Be watching my blog. I'm going to be trying to get myself back into some of the things I was doing before on my blog, like Total Color Tuesday, um, Slow Quilt Monday, those kinds of things. Um, but it's just going to take me another couple of weeks to really get the swing of my current work schedule. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. On the behalf of all podcasters, thank you for talking back to us leaving comments and thank you for any reviews you might choose to you leave on itunes as well of course we appreciate the nice reviews more than others and um, other than that you know where you can get a hold of me you can email me at sandyquilts at gmail.com sandy with a y quilts with a z you can follow the or you can subscribe to the blog quilting for the rest of us dot podcast or dot blogspot.com you can follow me on twitter pinterest goodreads uh flickr seamed up stitch talk tom spoolery google plus all of those places i am sandy quilt sandy with a y quilts with a z and you can join the quilting for the rest of us group on facebook you can join the quilting for the rest of us on uh, group on Flickr. you can join the quilting for the rest of us uh, group in big tent with the quilt cast super group first and then the quilting for the rest of us subgroup and whenever they bring groups back to seamed up i know they're working on it um, there is a quilting for the rest of us group there as well. And you can join the Kiva team for quilting for the rest of us and do good. And you will find links for all of those good things and even more at www.quiltingfortherestofus.com. And until the next time, go get your quilty on. Quilting for the Rest of Us is dedicated to Shirley. Love you, Mom. Thank you.